How is this pandemic affecting you? It's certainly affecting the dreams I'm interpreting on Reddit. In this episode, we'll look at one of the more entertaining and bizarre dreams that I've heard lately. And then we'll talk with Dr. Beth Aller about being a physician in the time of COVID, as well as analyzing one of her recent dreams. Hello, and welcome to The Stuff of Dreams. I'm Amy Lawson, and my goal is to connect you with your dreams in a more fun and meaningful way so you can interpret the messages that your unconscious is sending. So you know that one of the places I interact with the most dreams is on the internet, on Reddit, and it's given me an opportunity to really pay attention the last couple of months to how dreams are changing and what themes are emerging. And I've picked up on a few things. So first of all, there are just more dreams, period. I think people are having more time to write down their dreams, to think about their dreams, to post their dreams. And so that makes sense since we're all sheltered in place. I've noticed more anxiety dreams, and that's understandable since we're in the middle of this pandemic and don't really know how long it's going to last or how bad it's going to be. I've seen more dreams that seem to reflect family dynamics, I think, because everybody's cooped up in quarantine with people that they don't usually spend this much time with. And the theme that most surprised me is that I'm seeing a lot more than I would expect of dreams that are positive, like dreams about transformation. And at first that struck me as strange because we're in a pandemic. This is a time of scariness. And so why all these positive messages? But then I thought about how Jung always said that dreams are compensatory. He saw the psyche as like a self-regulating system that just wanted balance. And so sometimes messages from the unconscious are a way to balance some part of us that they feel like are getting too one-sided, I think. So in that way, dreams can either build us up like dreams of transformation, or they can tear us down like scary dreams, depending on what our conscious attitude is and what our unconscious thinks we need. Just because of my personal psychology, my dreams tend to build me up because my conscious self does a pretty good job of, you know, taking me down a notch quite often. But then I remember reading about an example of one of Jung's patients who was this like aristocratic old lady patient who had a very high opinion of herself. And so she came to him with this series of dreams that she just couldn't understand because she kept dreaming about, quote, dirty fishwives and drunken prostitutes. So her dreams clearly were saying she was too inflated and needed to be brought down. So that's what I mean about dreams being compensatory. We're going to do a whole episode on dreams of transformation in another few weeks. So stay tuned. Okay, let's get to this really interesting dream that I have for you. Uh, It's again from a Reddit user and I do have permission to use it. I'm a 27 year old female living in New York City during the time of the quarantine. I can tell it's affecting me mentally and emotionally. Last night, however, I had a completely absurd and chaotic dream that was entirely animated. It was stylistically similar to most shows on Cartoon Network, very regular show-esque, and the content was just entirely manic. Nothing made sense. I was not a part of the dream either. It was in third person, and I was not present. The, quote, main character was a pigeon stuck in the back door of a semi driving down the highway. The semi-driver was trying to capture him and didn't realize he already had. The driver was covered in a sticky substance he identified as heart of worms, which prompted a glimpse into his mind where I saw a TV interview happening between a worm and a, quote, swan. It was actually a pelican, but everyone referred to him as a swan. The swan sang a song that went something like this. I like milkshakes and diabetes. And then I woke up. Truly a few minutes of insane manic energy. Who wants to tell me why this is happening? 
I mean, do you see why I said this dream is bizarre and entertaining? We got pigeons, we got hearts of worms, we've got I love milkshakes and diabetes. So this is all nonsense, right? It's just a bunch of chaos. How in the world would we make sense of it? It's obvious that dreams aren't logical. They don't come right out to us and say what they mean. They speak in symbols and in metaphors. But because a lot of those can be irrational and weird, some people just dismiss them as stupid, meaningless, worthless. This is just my brain playing, whatever. But really, it's the dream communicating in its native language, which is symbols. The, the dreams aren't trying to purposely confuse us. And I think that we can make our dreams a lot more coherent if we take the time to learn their language. So what better example to use than this dream? So to me, this dream is really just a message about the surreal quality of life right now. Even before we get into the details, you know, she described the dream as absurd and chaotic. The dream imagery is all animated. It looks like a Cartoon Network show. So there's an image of unreality, of we're not living in the real world. This doesn't feel like the real world. This feels like a cartoon, even if it's a scary cartoon. She writes in her description that the content was manic and nothing made sense. But I think there's information in the fact that this dream evoked that kind of feeling and that kind of analysis. I think that her unconscious was forcing her in a way to acknowledge how surreal life feels right now. The next part of the strangeness is that the dreamer isn't actually in the dream. You know, usually when you're in a dream, you are one of the main characters. There's some character that feels like you, that feels like being inside your head. And this dream to her felt like the third person. She wasn't present. And so the main character was this pigeon. And I think, again, that's probably a commentary on a lot of us don't really feel like we're the main characters in our lives right now. And remember where the pigeon is. The pigeon is stuck to the back door of a semi that's driving down the highway. So to me, that's an image that... This main character in the dream, this pigeon, which should be a bird that's free and able to fly and soar and move in three dimensions, is instead stuck to this truck, unable to move, just being carried along wherever the driver wants to go. So again, it's an image of not being in control of your own movement, of your own life. And to add another layer of the surreal, somehow she knows in the dream that the semi-driver, his quest is to find this pigeon. So he's driving around looking for it, not knowing that the pigeon is attached to the back of his truck. So that seems like an image of like, what's the point? You know, even when I have a quest, I have a task, there's something I need to accomplish. I'm not able to for some reason because the rules aren't quite functioning like they usually do. The next image, the semi-driver was covered in a sticky substance he identified as heart of worms, which prompted a glimpse into his mind. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's nonsensical in a way, but heart of worms, that seems like a very specific phrase that she remembers and puts in quotes. So let's dig into that. So worms are underground creatures that live in the dirt, and that feels like a an image that's closer to the unconscious, right? If the unconscious is below or underground. And then hearts, hearts of worms. Hearts are about like, you know, if you use it figuratively, it's like the heart of the matter, like the the center of it, the, the important thing, the lifeblood. So this driver being covered in heart of worms is something about maybe being connected with his own unconscious, his own mind. 
And then when we look into that mind, we see a TV interview happening between a worm and a swan. But actually, the swan is a pelican. It's just everyone keeps calling it a swan, but it really looks like a pelican. And again, we're just having image after image of the surreal of nothing is quite as it should be or as it seems to be. If it looks like a pelican, we should call it a pelican, not a swan. Pelicans are kind of weirdly shaped, dumpy birds with big bills and swans are big and graceful. And that shouldn't be something that we easily mistake for one another. And then the swan sings a song, which reminds me of the phrase swan song, which means someone's last performance, their goodbye somehow. And the words to the song that she remembers are, I like milkshakes and diabetes. And (laughs) that just makes me laugh so much. Those two things, again, do not go together. This is very surreal. If you like milkshakes, hopefully you don't have diabetes. You should not like both milkshakes and diabetes. They are two things that are bad for each other. So the final image in this dream is of a swan who's really a pelican singing about how he likes both milkshakes and diabetes, two things that definitely do not go together. I hope that you can see the pattern of all of this. I mean, this dream is just hitting us over the head with image after image after image of opposites and contradictions and surreal everything. It doesn't even look like the real world. Everything is animated. The dreamer isn't actually present. It's the dream is in third person. I just found this dream so fascinating because it's such a clear, well, it's not clear. It's fascinating in its not clearness in its use of these bizarre images over and over again to express its message of feeling like the current time doesn't feel quite real. Remember, the first line that the dreamer wrote was that she's in New York City during quarantine and she feels like it's affecting her mentally and emotionally. So this dream is a reflection of how that's affecting her and it's to make everything feel unreal. She didn't send me a super long response, but she did say, this is amazing. I appreciate it so sincerely. I think this all makes a lot of sense and isn't an interpretation I could have gathered on my own. So thank you. So no problem. That was a fun one to think about. So because it was all the free time that I discovered in quarantine that led me to start this podcast in the first place, I really want to anchor this episode in the strange times of this global pandemic. And it is really strange to be a physician who's completely unneeded right now. I mean, I work for a large organization. They don't need my help with planning or administration. And our patient volumes are so low because people want to stay home that my shifts keep getting canceled. But I want to prove to you that not all doctors are complete slackers who stay home and start dream podcasts. So I've invited my very first guest, Dr. Beth Aller. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. So I thought you might be a good person to contrast my slackerness with since we've kind of been being compared and contrasted our whole lives, right? Um, Full disclosure, Dr. Aller is my sister. So speaking of contrasts, I'm a pediatrician in a large group in the Bay Area, and Beth lives in a small town of 1,200 people in rural Kansas, where she and her husband are the town family medicine doctors. Isn't there a story that like the town hadn't had a doctor for 30 years or something before you guys moved there? Yeah, when I agreed to come out to rural Kansas, um, at first it was just going to be me, and then my husband and I got together and got married, so They ended up getting, if they were getting one of us, they were getting two of us. And the town of Stockton hadn't had their own doctors for well over 20 years. 
So they asked if we would be willing to become Stockton's um, town doctors and move here and become part of the community. So we said yes. And uh, it's been eight years now. I mean, I'm telling you, I've always said you need like a reality show or something. I mean, what, how many beds does the hospital have in the next town? Like 20 or something? Yes, we are a 20 bed rural critical access hospital. It's a different life, I have to say. I've learned many things from visiting you there. So what's it been like for you guys right now with all this COVID stuff going on? So in the beginning, a lot of fear about our resources because we do not have, we don't have an ICU. Our closest ICU is 40 minutes away. We don't have the capability to care for large numbers of critically ill patients. We're very good at getting people to our hospitals, stabilizing them, innovating them. For example, if we need to, people talked all about ventilators during this thing, right? But it's not the kind of place where we keep them because we don't have that level of monitoring in an ICU unit. So when we truly didn't know what this was going to look like, um, our fear was, and what we were hearing from larger centers that we normally transport our people to was, we might not be able to take your patients. And so you need a backup game in place. If you have to keep large numbers of people, what are you going to do? And what is this going to look like if we tell you we cannot take your patients? And so we, as our group of docs, there's five doctors and three mid-levels that work in our facility. We got together and we came up with a disaster plan of what ventilators would we use? How would we move this ventilator out of the OR? Um, we have a mass casualty kind of ventilator, meaning like mass trauma where you can ventilate up to seven people at one time. Obviously not what you want to have to do. So we had these things in place as to what we were going to do. Where were we going to put patients, you know, making our post-OR care unit into a, a patient care unit. So that was the first fear. And then once it started to go down a little bit into maybe we weren't going to be immediately overwhelmed, the next worry was keeping people informed because there's been so much misinformation out there that people didn't know what to believe and who to trust and who to listen to. So I never would have thought that my contribution during the pandemic would have been a daily Facebook Live for my community. But that's what's happened when I went live the first couple of times, it was just to share information and it was received well, but the thought was still we would just come live when there were specific pieces of information for us to talk about. We'd made a lot of changes in our practice, like moving to parking lot waiting room, teaching people how to do telemedicine. I like the one about um, how to do church. You actually had one about how to do church the same day as everyone lamenting that you couldn't get gas station fountain drinks anymore. I remember that one. Yes, it was the same day. So it's things like that, that it's not only information of what do they need to know from like a nationwide level, but trying to communicate with them that I get it. Like when fountain drinks shut down and you couldn't get slushies, at our one gas station in town that has slushies, this was a big deal. My three-year-old twin daughter, Maya, glares 
when she talks about the virus, she narrows her eyes. And that day it was, I can't get slushies because of the virus. <laughs> she gets so mad at it. She's also real mad. She didn't get to see the Easter bunny because of the virus. Mm. She's real afraid she won't get to go to the pool because of the virus. But in our town, no fountain drinks and no slushies was a big deal. And then we also had to talk about it hadn't been totally locked down yet on church. And so we had to encourage people to not be going to church because that's a big deal around here too. Our spiritual leaders had been great. Like in general, they had shut down churches or they'd said, don't feel compelled to come. And small churches that have never done a video sermon in their lives, right? They're learning. They're doing it around here. I thought people were going to get real annoyed with me and be tired of seeing me, but that is a apparently not the case right now. We hear a lot of things about how it is their period where they feel more calm during the day because mm -hmm. they're getting information they feel like they can trust. They're getting not mm -hmm. only that national information, but I'll make sure I let them know what's happening in our county, break it down a little bit into what's happening in our state. We talk about everything from increasing rates and risk of domestic violence to adult mental health and child mental health. And then lots of days it's dispelling myths and rumors that circulate widely. I have a lot of people that will shoot me articles to say, I saw this. Is it real? Should I post it? Because I've tried to also encourage people to think before disseminating information that might be very incorrect. Well, I am very proud of you and all of that work you're doing. I mean, all of this planning and then the Facebook Live, not to mention raising four children under the age of seven. And um, yeah, I'm a slacker. <laughs> No, you are not. And that was another part of stress, I guess, that I would say is there's also the stress of owning a small business of mm. not only taking care of your patients, but trying to take care of your employees. Yeah. And we're having to do all these video visits, which the thing I like most in the room is playing with the kids. And so I can't do that over video. It makes me very sad. Yeah, it is. And I am a big hugger and I have a lot of patients that are also huggers. So it's very odd to come in a room and wave instead of hug. So now that we've heard all of the things that you do, I do find it amazing that you actually have time to sleep, but you have brought a dream, right? Since this is a dream podcast, which one do you want to talk okay. about? Okay. I had found from, I think it was your suggestion to keep a little log of my dreams in my phone where I will just talk them in the morning because otherwise it's real easy for me to forget. I think my dream sphere should be coming back because, um, <laughs> We are sleep training our youngest child, so I should be able to sleep more again. My sleep had been very yeah. broken multiple times per night by a nursing child. So my mornings now frequently, I'll when he wakes up and I bring him in to nurse in the morning, I will think about my dreams and try to put those mm. down. Yay, that's a good time. Yes, it is. It's a perfect time because it's a very nice kind of contemplative, calming time of morning. So I had a dream that was, I believe it was last week. And in the dream, it was my husband, but not my husband. So I say my husband's name is Mike. So I knew it was Mike, but the person didn't look like Mike, but he felt like Mike for the majority of the dream. He was going through therapy, which is not something my actual husband has 
done so I can remember thinking it was a little bit odd that he was in therapy. And it was obviously a time of great discord, but I had thought of it as discord within himself and not within the relationship. I can remember we were both in therapy, but it was very clear that I was there with the mindset that things were going okay and that he was in therapy, but it wasn't couples therapy, just therapy that I was invited to. When we were there, a fight broke out and I went from feeling like things were okay and he was just there to make some progress in his own life to all of a sudden things were not okay between us and something was terribly wrong. And so I started feeling like things were spinning out of control. I felt entirely out of control and scared all of a sudden. And I started reacting horribly. One of those times where you're reacting emotionally, I knew that I was reacting terribly, but I couldn't stop. So the situation kept getting worse and worse. And at one point he carved something into his chest and I'm not sure what it was, but I went to hug him because that was the moment where I broke and went from needing to be defensive to just wanting to care for him. But he wouldn't hug me because he was so angry and he went and hugged his therapist instead of me. It was a very upsetting dream. I could feel it inside of me, the panic of things possibly not working out, the fear and guilt of having made him feel worse, the rejection when I wanted to make things better and he wouldn't let me comfort him, and the fear of long-term rejection that maybe we wouldn't be okay. I woke up without full reconciliation of the situation. And so it was one of those dreams that for the first few hours of your morning, you feel like something's wrong, even though you can't put your finger on it. But I would keep going back to this feeling of of discomfort with this dream. Yeah. Well, and I think that a lot of times the dreams pick the symbols in order to elicit the right emotion that they think we need to feel or acknowledge. So you mentioned a lot of emotions there, fear and guilt and resignation. So first of all, are you taking this dream at face value? Do you think it was about your real relationship with your in real life husband? No, not at all. What I was thinking about this, the thing was that is the one area of my life or the one part of the dream that I don't have any worries about. Like I do have issues with defensiveness sometimes and acting too emotionally and all these things. But the stability of my marriage is one thing that I don't have any concern about. So I felt like maybe it came in that imagery because it made it easier to know that that wasn't the real concern. Right. Because dreams only know how to talk to us in images and symbols. They aren't super rational and just coming out and saying exactly what they mean. But it seems like the flavor of this dream is that it's about a relationship between you and the dream, which is probably like your conscious ego and something masculine that you're really connected to. I often as a doctor think of medicine as a pretty masculine presence because there's rules and logic and treatment and medicines and we have to fix things and do things. And yes, there's supposed to be the more feminine connected parts of medicine, but those are really the the afterthoughts compared to diagnosing, treating, getting paid by insurance, all that stuff. So What do you think about that? Does that feel like something that might be true for this dream, that it might be about your relationship with medicine right now? Yeah, I think that definitely could be part of it. Normally, my relationship with medicine is pretty routine, I guess, in a way. I take care of people from the time I deliver them to the time they die. So days can be very different from a birth to dealing with a hospice patient. But I still expect what it's going to look like. And 
I don't have any idea right now. Things change so quickly day to day that I don't have that routine expectation of medicine right now. Yeah. Well, and even the first image was of this masculine person or medicine or whatever in therapy, which in the dream didn't seem like something that was usual to you. And to me, I think we really are having to like put medicine under the microscope right now. Medicine is sick and needs some help. This virus has thrown stuff at us that we haven't seen in 100 years. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, it's brought into the open so many things that are broken that we know have been broken forever, but it just goes on. It functions, right? It might not function healthily, but it functions just like many, many people, right? We function in our lives, but it's not great. But this has brought so many things to the surface that are so broken that it is being re-examined in a way that it never has, certainly since I've been in medicine. Yeah. And I think that dreams compensate our conscious attitudes in general. I believe that our inner self really just wants balance and wholeness. So often the messages in dreams are trying to compensate something that we aren't really thinking about consciously. So sitting here and listening to you talk about all of the things that you're doing from planning in the hospital for surge things to your Facebook live to still having connections with your patients, even though you can't hug them and still doing the video visits. And I know you that you're the type of person that really tends to like look on the bright side and really want to spend time on all the positive things. And so maybe this message was just getting you to feel those emotions and saying, you know, that's okay. It's okay to feel the negative part of this too. How does that resonate? Yeah, that's hard. Because if I stay in that place very long, personally, like that can pull me down. So you're right. Like I try to recognize those things, but I go past them. And so this has made it much harder to go past. You have to sit in those things because every day you're being forced to sit in those things. Yeah. And I think I'm also taking in a lot of not just the fear, but a lot of the questioning and uncertainty of the community and of other people around me, right? There's the baseline anxiety regarding all this, but then being a person that people look to, you take that on from other people too. And you're trying to not only calm yourself and calm your children, but calm your community. And you, yeah. you know, you'd mentioned we have 1,200 people in our town. We've got about 5,000 in our county. And most of the videos are averaging about 2,000 views, but a couple of them have hit 9,000, mm. which is way more than we have in our county. So I'm getting questions from people I don't know and from other states and from across this. So I, I'm trying not to internalize that responsibility or anxiety, but it's it's hard and it has turned my normal relationship with medicine like it's made it way different. Yeah, different and more more confrontational in a way like the dream. Not that you're having fights and fights with mm-hmm. people, but you said you're vetting people's articles before they share them and stuff mm-hmm. like, you know, there's some politics there's some confrontation stuff there. Yeah. And not saying things that I necessarily because <laughs> yeah. I live in a very conservative part of the state. And while I do not hide myself at all and will talk politics with anyone, I am definitely liberal and that is not the norm around here. But also having to, to figure out how to communicate the political things with the health things and coming from a place of love and not reactivity because I will just get mad and reactionary. <laughs> and so this has actually been a really good experience for me to learn how to take those 
things and communicate them more just from a level of, I don't have to agree with you, but I still care about you a whole lot. So how can I communicate these things from a place of love instead of just reaction, which is not my default. But the big question is, have you had to answer any questions about drinking or injecting bleach? Thankfully not yet. <laughs> that, that That's good. I'm really if, praying those aren't coming. <laughs> but, okay. Just, mm-hmm. just Tide Pod? Yeah. Just Tide Pod. If you Tide Pod okay. it, things get better. Okay. Got it. Uh, this is not actual medical, uh, me- no. medical nope. <laughs> advice, <laughs> people. Don't, don't listen. Okay. Don't. Um, the other image that struck me from your dream was really that image of of him carving something into his chest. That seems meaningful to me somehow. And I wanted to ask you with your associations with chest tattoos or mutilation or ritual stuff or I don't know what what comes up for you there about chest and anything. I can't think of anything specific to that. And that's why I was interested to hear your take on it, because I can't think of anything with that, aside from just the fact that when you show your chest, you're laying things Mm -hmm. bare, right? Like an animal's not going to show their underbelly or show their chest because that's where they're Mm -hmm. vulnerable. And so that was my thought of it was it was it was something that was laid bare and it's something that's normally covered. So even if you've carved or had something there, you keep it hidden. And so it was the fact that it was just laid open and bare. Do you remember which side of the chest or the middle or? It was all all across. across. Okay. Because I definitely, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about the heart with the chest too and carving close to the Mm -hmm. heart. Yeah. Especially if we're seeing this masculine figure as medicine, that reminds me of the images of doctors having such a hard time having to make more life and death decisions than they ever have, having to figure out whether to code somebody or not based on whether they have PPE. Like this is all seems like it's stuff that would make medicine self-mutilate and bleed. It kind of feels like the same flavor to me that at its heart, I think medicine really does want to help people. But the system has gotten so bloated and crazy that that's not always what happens anymore. And now that we're overwhelming some of our resources, I don't know, that's just what I kept thinking about is bleeding over the heart, the chest. I like, yes, and laid bare and vulnerable. And and we're really showing a lot of the cracks of medicine that we don't always see right now too, right? Yeah. And I kept trying to read it. Like I wanted to know what it said, but like I couldn't, like I couldn't decipher it. And that felt meaningful too. I was seeing the injury and I was seeing the vulnerability, but I couldn't decipher exactly what it meant. And that then seeing that was the thing that broke me. That was what made me turn from my defensiveness in the situation to just wanting to comfort. To change from being just mad at everything to like just do what Mm -hmm. you can, which absolutely is what you've been doing in your real life. So, yeah. And is probably what I do at home, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's an interesting flip because as doctors, we're also parts of medicine. So you could also make the case that Mike, this husband in the dream, represents the masculine kind of doctor part of you. And that part of you is also feeling like doing what you need to do is self-harming in a way because sometimes it's harming you even if it's helping other people. Does that feel like yeah. the, a flavor of something? Yeah. No, it does because we don't give ourselves that because like if if you're not helping all you can, we are taught that that makes us less than like as physicians, especially like shut up 
and don't complain about how many hours you're working. And if somebody asks you to work more hours, even though you actually don't have to, you say yes, because you're selfless. And if you don't, then you're Mm -hmm. selfish. And if you don't, then you're not taking advantage of the opportunities to learn or to serve. So we are we are raised in medicine with an underlying feeling of guilt if you take care of yourself. But of course, what we know is if you do not take care of the healer, you can't heal. But that's said, but it's not acted upon. It's not actually treated that way. And we know that if in residency or whatever, somebody would have said, I'm not going to take this shift because I need some me time. Like, (laughs) yeah, oh, my God, like (laughs) that would not have gone over well. And even now, I still have to give myself permission to say no, and I'm not good at it. I have to have some protected time for me and for my kids, or I am going to not have anything left to give. Well, and all of that internalized stuff is why I wanted to start this podcast making fun of myself as a doctor who's starting a dream podcast, right? Because the inner voices are telling me, (laughs) you're a doctor, you should be out there doing something. You know, why haven't you flown to New York and figured out how to take care of adult patients so that you can help more? You know, the answer is because I have a broken ankle, but it, it goes deep. Those internalized voices are deep. Yeah. So are there any other parts of the dream that stuck out to you or you want to be sure we talk about? The thing of being like blindsided, Mm. feeling blindsided that I went in and I felt like I knew what I was walking into. We were going to work on something that was workable or fixable. And then all of a sudden was blindsided by this. This is a horrific thing that possibly might not be fixable, but just was entirely not what I expected. Yeah. And where I mean, where do you see those dynamics playing out in your life right now, feeling blindsided or like your expectations were completely changed? I think, yeah, I think that's probably just the very fact that I don't know what to expect anymore day to day. And even though that's becoming more, quote unquote, normal, like medicine and the medicine I know and the practice I know and the things that I have done for eight years have been entirely turned on their head. Yeah, it's scary. It is. We do have positives in our county. And there was a day that we found out that my husband had come in contact with someone who was COVID positive. And my husband is also a family med doc. We sent him to spend the night in a different location than the children and I, because we just figured that was the best way to mitigate risk. We were really, really lucky that he was able to get the turnaround on the test in like 30 some hours instead of days, which it had been before. But like that night I had had our seven-year-old crying to me saying, does daddy have the virus? Is he going to be okay? And then I had a three-year-old boy twin crying. Just Merrick was just mad that dad wasn't home to put him to bed because that's the norm. Mm -hmm. And Maya was mad and told him, come home. I don't have the virus. So how do you relate this to like your children and trying to keep them safe in this super weird, scary time and not freak them out? Yeah. Because we're freaked out. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try not to overwhelm them also to a point of yeah. being terrified. <laughs> My cats seem unconcerned. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I'm okay so far. But, yeah. 
So I just want to point out a couple of things in the way that we worked this dream. So first of all, you notice that we kind of took it on different levels, right? Because the other character in the dream could be some external force for you, like medicine, or it could be an internal part of you. And it's probably both. For those of you who like mm -hmm. black and white dream interpretation, I'm sure that's very frustrating. But really, this is all gray areas and, and layers. And secondly, I kept checking in with you about this, because when you're having a conversation with somebody about a dream, you know, you have to ask them what's resonating and what's not, because sometimes what's going on in my head is just doesn't feel right to the dreamer. And so that's a really important part of interpretation, too. So I just wanted to um, to point out those couple of things that I was doing. I've spent some time trying to figure out how I want to end my podcast. And one of the things I've been thinking about is how often we think about dreams as the opposite of reality. And I want to reclaim that a little bit because I hope that these podcasts are starting to convince some of my listeners that dreams are real. They have real messages. They have real wisdom. They have real meanings. And so each week I want to end my podcast by a discussion of something real. So, Dr. Beth Aller, besides for dreams, what's real? It's a really good question. When I think about my life and my day-to-day, -day, when I think about what's real, it's the things that I feel. It's not the things I see and it's not the things that are told to me. It's the things that I sense. There's a lot that you feel when your child comes up and gives you a big hug. Mm. It's the feeling of connectedness when I walk into my home. Mm. It's that feeling of safety and security and belonging and love. And it's being able to do a job, but it's not in the diagnosing of people and it's not in the prescribing of things. It's in the hug at the end of the visit. And it's when my patients tell me they love me, which happens a lot. And I didn't know what to do with that at first. It feels very natural and real now to tell them I love them back. Oh, and that's really one of the things about practicing in a small community like that. You know, you can't have that professional distance from everybody else. You won't have any friends or contacts or community. Around here, you have to really readjust what professionalism means, because mm. we're taught that professionalism means maintaining a certain distance. And I yeah. do not think that's what professionalism means, because you can have an emotional investment and an emotional attachment to your patients without being unprofessional. If I kept that distance with everybody, I wouldn't have any friends. I wouldn't yeah. be able to talk to other people in my age group who are moms of similar kids because I see so many of them or I see their kids. Of course, you still have to keep boundaries, but they changed a lot when I got out here. Yeah, I remember being explicitly taught in medical school and residency, don't get too close, don't get too emotionally involved because it's too hard on you and you'll burn out. And I bought into that for quite a long time until I actually realized that when I'm having meaningful emotional connections with a patient or a family, even when they're difficult, I get energy from that because I feel connection. Yep. It doesn't drain me. So I do regret the years that I spent not realizing that. It keeps you from burning out. Yeah. Right? Like not maybe not everybody, but you and me and many of us like it's that connection that keeps us from burning out. And you still have to have boundaries and you can't do that all the time all the time, but 
Well, I want to thank you for coming on and telling us about what it's like to be a doctor in your area and then also for sharing the dream and having a conversation about that. I think this will be a really good good example for people of how you start to work a dream. So I hope you had fun. I did. Yes, I did. Okay. Well, we will uh, have you on anytime. I'm hoping to get Lila, my seven-year-old niece, on sometime so we can talk about kids' dreams. So hopefully that will happen. Thanks so much. And that's the show. In the next episode, we'll work through some dreams that communicate by evoking really strong emotions. And then you'll meet the guy who got me started on dreams as we have a conversation about one of his. I'm always looking for more people willing to come on and discuss a dream with me. So head on over to my website at stuffofdreams.fireside.fm to send me a dream. You can also find show notes and links there. Thanks so much for listening. And if you liked it, I encourage you to tell one friend about it this week. Let's get more people fluent in the language of dreams. Bye for now. And I hope you dream tonight.